Hi, I'm your host, Heather Fowler, and welcome to Graceful Stories, Living and Learning That God's Got This. So have you ever wondered what it would be like to have chunks of your life missing? You know, just to get somewhere and realize you have no idea how you got there? Well, that is what we're going to hear about today. Our guest is a fascinating man who has lived with a disorder that makes that exact scenario happen. So I cannot wait to get to it. A few years ago, I authored a book called The Warrior. I wrote the book after our family went through a difficult event. The lessons I learned through writing The Warrior helped me see that I became a warrior through, not despite my difficult time. After the book was published, I started going through it with family and friends, and they told me their story. Their stories are filled with grace, strength, lessons learned, and the presence of God. These are their graceful stories. Please trust me, you do not want to miss an episode. So please subscribe today and stay tuned to the end of this story to hear a sneak peek of what's to come. Well, I am excited to welcome our next guest into the hot seat. And I'd like to just give you a little bit of introduction to this guy. So he is a 22 year old man, which is really unusual. It kind of feels weird for me to say. He is in his senior year at the University of New Mexico and working hard on his degree in secondary education with an emphasis in history. He goes to a small church here in town and has multiple roles. He is on the security team. He does everything to do with the live stream. So he does the technical stuff with the live stream, but he also helps with the words in the worship songs and that kind of thing. Am I right with that? Yes. Awesome. And he has an amazing girlfriend that he loves very much. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I should say to introduce you. He's an awesome guy and he is my son in whom I am very well pleased. So I would like to introduce you to Colin Fowler. Hello. So Colin, today we are going to say the other side to my story, which was the last episode. So on the last episode, it all was about the story of what we and our family call Chicago. Yes. Okay. And so I would really, I'd love for you to talk about Chicago, but I would love for you to first, I'll just ask you some questions. I'd love for you to talk about young Colin and what it was like when you first started these weird things. I remember when you were in first grade and you came home and you told me I fell asleep and I woke up on the bathroom floor. Yeah. Tell us about that. Honestly, I don't really remember much about that. Um, All I really remember is I went into the bathroom to fill up my water bottle. Yeah. um, And then um, when I woke up, there was a kid who was um, going into a stall and he was like, you okay? And then, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then I just went on about my day. I, um, I got up and I was kind of 
blind and trying to guess where I was. Yeah. Um, I thought I was in a grocery store for a second. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah. when that you were not... I wasn't diagnosed You were not epilepsy, diagnosed yet. But I am pretty sure it was seizure activity. Okay, so tell us, how old were you when you were diagnosed? About eight, nine years old. I think you were about eight. Eight, eight. And did it change your life? Do you, what do you remember about being diagnosed? Well, as a little kid with epilepsy, you don't really understand it all. Right. You, you're just like, okay, well, it's just a label now. I don't really know anything that's very different. And for the most part, that has changed and stayed the same. Uh, now I am trying to prove to people that epileptics are normal people. And that we can live normal lives. Um, so, yeah. I remember one of the biggest things that you had to deal with is the very first medication you were put on was mm-hmm. a medication called Depakote. Yes. And medications work differently with different people. It was just Depakote for you was a very powerful drug that did away with the seizures, mm-hmm. but it really gave you a difficult thing to deal with. Yeah, I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> um, and there's, there's so, I was, I was the, the bigger kid in class, but there's always that bigger kid in class, and so I kind of didn't think about it. Yeah. It, it kind of changed, um, but it also didn't really change anything. Well, you had your really close friends in school. Yeah. You had some not-so-good friends in baseball that did some crazy things. But you could hit that baseball over the oh, fence yeah. better than anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and who knows, it may have been because of your size, but Maybe. <laughs> you could whack that thing. And so even though there was some teasing that happened to you in baseball, mm-hmm. you did away with the teasing yeah. every time. It was a good thing I could hit that ball real hard because <laughs> I couldn't run very fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So let's then go to your middle school, high school years. Okay. What happened? Was there anything that was significant that happened there? Um, no. Not really? Not, not, not really. I had a few teachers that didn't really understand because... They were trying to be fair to all the students. Yeah. But what they didn't realize is that I'm not like other students. I need to physically experience everything that I'm learning because that's the only way I can learn. I I forget things very easily. I have a very bad short-term memory. So you had some teachers that didn't get you, but I remember you had one teacher and one class in high school that really, you really loved. So talk Mm -hmm. about the teacher you loved. I loved a teacher named Heather O'Shea. Um, Because she really understood my situation. uh, And she really tried to make sure I had a fighting chance in her class. Awesome. The other class was wildlife biology, and that's because we we did exactly how I learned best. 
we read up on the plants and animals in class. And then that day we would go out and see those plants and animals. I know that to this day we can go on a hike and you will tell me this is this animal and this is this plant. And, yeah. Oh, that's that bird. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know you learned a lot from mm-hmm. there. So over the years, you have talked about one particular teacher that really got you. And so I'd love for you to tell everybody about that. Yeah. I had this teacher before I was even diagnosed and we had any really idea that I could have been epileptic. And so she understood that I was a little different and she really tried to help me and she did. Um, Annette Koopman was my all-time favorite teacher that I am pretty sure I will ever have. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I am excited to get to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is a trip that our family calls Chicago. It's warmed around you and a lot of medical issues and people who have listened to this podcast and they heard the first episode the first episode dealt with me. So that's why we're calling this episode Battling a Medical Disorder Part 2 because Part 2 is everything from your perspective. So I am really listening myself and interested in hearing your perspective of that trip. Sounds good. It started when we were playing Heads Up, but... I don't want to start there. Let's start at the very beginning. The trip was amazing. I had a lot of fun. We had great pizza. We visited all the tourist sites. Nothing was going wrong. Up until... Yeah. It it snowed. Um, but it was... Everything was going great. We... We're playing heads up in the hotel room on the last night. And then as soon as we were done, I went to the bathroom because just abruptly I was violently sick. And after the sixth time that I threw up, we decided to go to the emergency room. Because me throwing up is never good. We Why isn't it good? What's the problem with you throwing up? It is basically the perfect storm for me having a seizure. I stay up late. I have stress. I have body trauma. It's everything. Yeah. We got to the emergency room and we were waiting around, waiting around because... So far, I was just throwing up, which wasn't much of a priority on their list. But then I finally got back to have them take my blood. And I think it was the trauma room. So it's the room where they kind of decide where you go on their list for a room in the emergency department. Mm. So they kind of decipher what's going on with you. And I remember we had a male nurse that was really cool and really nice. Yeah. 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 So we were, he was taking my blood and then I passed out. And I'm pretty sure I was already having um, absent seizures because uh, he kept on telling me, don't hold your breath. 
don't hold your breath. And I kept on holding my breath and I passed out. <laughs> I don't know why I was holding my breath, but I was holding my breath. When, as soon as I passed out, they, that immediately bumped me up on the priority list. So we got a room with a doctor that honestly, I don't know if he knew exactly what he was doing because I, we kind of waited. He gave me an anti-nausea. We waited until I kind of had a good bit where I wasn't throwing up. And then we tried some, some food. And the first thing he gave me was a sandwich. I think I talked about that sandwich. Yeah. That was when all of my mommy flags were going off, but I went ahead and went with what the doctor said, and we had you eat the sandwich, which was really a bad idea. Yeah. We didn't... I didn't eat the whole sandwich. You you said just eat the bread. And mm. so I did just eat the bread because that's better than... Trying to hold down cheese, bread, meat. Turkey. Turkey, yeah. And so I did just eat the bread and I did throw up because he gave me an ultrasound to view my stomach. And I'm not sure why. But during that ultrasound, he said, you want to see your heart? And in order to do that, you have to press really hard and then dig in to look under the chest cavity to see the heart. It was cool seeing my heart, but what wasn't cool was throwing up and having to stay there for another 32 two, two hours. So when we finally got out of there at like three o'clock in the morning, I went straight back to the hotel room and went straight to sleep and then woke up three hours later. Because we had to catch a plane. So, body trauma, stress, already having a little bit of epsilon seizures, lack of sleep. Once we got to the airport, I was napping all I could. I was sleeping all I could so I wouldn't have a grandma seizure. But as soon as we got to the gate, I went down for a nap and then I woke up with doctors around me. Um, so next thing I remember after waking up is being in the ambulance at the, on the tarmac. So then after that, I was in the ER at another hospital for what seemed to be five hours. I don't know how long it actually was about five hours. <laughs> We got my girlfriend at the time, she was leaving Dallas on one of her own family trips and we got her a plane ticket back to up to Chicago. Where because she, you did. Because we did make plans to spend New Year's together. And you had had so many disappointing New Year's that we were really excited that this one, you were going to have plans and it was fun. And so mom and dad went into fix it mode and we decided to get the plans to you. Yes. 
So as soon as she got there, the rest of the trip was great. I really enjoyed the rest of the trip. Do you remember, what do you remember getting home? Anything? Was there anything specific that you remember getting home and just getting into the natural swing of things? Because it might be interesting for people to see, to hear, what does it mean when you have a major seizure? Uh, when I when I have a major when I have a grand mal seizure, basically what goes on in my brain is the different parts of my brain stop talking to each other, and that is why the grand mal seizure is the closest to death because it can make your heart stop beating. Mm -hmm. How many people? You know, one thing that we're gonna get into that you do now is you really do a lot of epilepsy awareness so that the stigma goes away, but I know that you've done your homework on research. How many people die a year of sudden epilepsy? About 50,000 people die of epilepsy every year. And there's... From that exact from, thing that you're from, talking about. Yes, from, from having a seizure, from having a grand mal seizure. It is anywhere between um, what is from just having a seizure or what is called SUDEP, sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, mm -hmm. which is having a seizure at night when nobody is kind of guarding you unless you have somebody watching you. And I know that seizures can just kill you. You were talking about your brain, mm -hmm. si the sides of your brain not talking to each other and stopping your heart. There have been many, 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 many thousands of deaths where all it's it's only be it's sudden, unexpected, unexpected death, death in epilepsy. epilepsy. It they don't know why. There's not a reason. There, yeah, no reason at all. So about fifty thousand die a year, and every year there is about a. There's about a million people diagnosed every year. So the one thing that I know has caused you problems in your life is that you have a car, you have your driver's license, yes. and when you've had a seizure, you can't drive for six months. Correct. And so you get home as, I think you, were you? Were I you don't sophomore? remember. I, I think you I were, was a junior. A junior in high school. I was when a this junior happened. in high school when this happened. So you were a junior in high school with a really cool little white Jeep and mm -hmm. it had to sit in the driveway. For six months. <laughs> yes. So that was not easy. Was there any physical sides when we got home from Chicago that you had to deal with? Honestly, I don't remember the following two months afterwards. Does it wipe out some of your long-term memory? It, yeah. It wipes out... I, obviously, I don't have any short-term memory while it happens. Because right, I was, obviously. Because I was out, and for the following five days, um, I don't remember much because my brain is kind of recovering. Mm -hmm. And then it does wipe out a, a lot of, like... Memories my brain don't, working, yeah. Yeah. Memories just don't connect and stay in yes. long-term process. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for telling your story, Colin. I really appreciate it. I would like now to talk about God in your story. Okay. Where have you seen God play a role in all of this? Chicago was my second grand mal seizure. After my first grand mal seizure, 
I, I believe that God kind of shows me stuff, talks to me in my dreams. And both you and I, I remember, we both had a dream. Yours was kind of the part two to my dream. My dream was I uh, got into a car accident. The entrance ramp onto the freeway was closed, so we had to drive off the um, intersection, or the, the merge, the hill, which is like 45 degree angle. <laughs> and... There was nothing wrong with that. But whenever in real life, whenever I was actually in a car, because remember, I can't drive during this time. Uh, how long again? Six, Six months, months. Right? Okay. Whenever I was driving with somebody, whenever they would make a left-hand turn, left-hand specifically. Or no, right, right, right. A right-hand turn. Specifically, I would feel a kind of bracing for impact feeling from the rear right side of the car. Okay. Specifically that whenever making a right-hand turn. Was it, and I'm just asking because I'm not sure I remember, was it just at that location? Because I remember your dream was pretty specific and it was a a specific on-ramp here where we live was that pain at that specific uh near that specific area we were on that intersection in your dream or in reality in reality we were at that intersection when i realized it okay so you're having a dream you have a dream after the episode in chicago and you have a dream that you are braced that you had this horrible car accident, right? Correct. And in the after the dream, in reality, and you and I both have very similar dreams, that you are in a horrible car accident. After the dream, in reality, every time you go near that on ramp, you get a pain in your right hand side, like you're de- waiting for an impact. Yeah, kind of, I like not necessarily a pain, just like a feeling where I have to brace for impact, like somebody's okay. gonna hit the back. So side of the car. how do you feel that relates to God? What are you saying? Uh, I believe that had I not had the seizure and still been able to drive, I would have been in a horrible car accident where somebody hit me from the rear side of my car and I fell off the entrance ramp onto the freeway. So you believe God is saying, I've got it. God's got this. Yes. Don't worry. I'm taking care of you. Correct. And I might be taking care of you in some funky, weird ways by letting you have this seizure. But I've got you. Okay. Correct. So how else do you see God in your life due to what you've experienced with epilepsy? I am now more confident. uh, Confident in my epilepsy. Open about my epilepsy. I have started a YouTube channel, um, various other uh, forms of kind of eliminating the stigma of epilepsy, getting the word out there that I am a normal guy. I just have to take medicine every day and deal with some stuff, but not a whole lot because I'm just a normal kid. Let's talk about the stigma for a minute. You just mentioned the stigma. Let's just be open and honest because that's what you've always wanted to do with your, well, especially since Chicago. That's what you've really had this mission in your heart to do. What do you think the stigma is? 
Mainly that we are not capable of normal everyday life. Okay, I think fair enough. We have to, the stigma is basically we have to, we miss out on a lot of things everybody can do and we can't physically enjoy a lot of things. Mm-hmm, I, I agree with you. And so I, I, I really, yeah, I, I think that's really where the stigma is. I think there's a stigma that, and, and tell me if you agree, I think there's a stigma that you're, since your brain is dealing with all of this stuff, that you're incapable of so many things in life. You're incapable of learning, really. You're incapable of, you mentioned having a normal life and having relationships and having friendships. And I think there's a weird stigma about people with epilepsy being maybe a little bit, for lack of a better term, weird. Yeah, that is, that's pretty accurate. Uh, the one that the, I've... The, in, in the identification of the stigma, but the stigma is not accurate. Correct, correct, correct. correct. <laughs> the one that I've heard most often is that we're not able to hold a job. Yeah. Which I am holding a job right now. I'm holding a couple jobs right now. <laughs> so that isn't really any problem. Yeah. So, okay. So we've talked about um, God in your life and God, how God has helped you become, how these things, how these seizures have helped you become more confident how have what's happened your with your relationship with God since you started this? I've gotten a whole lot closer to God during all this. I have tr- started trusting him more and like saying, okay, I don't know what's going on here, what to do, so I'm just going to just leave it up to you and I know you can handle it. Right. Do you think you worry less because Oh, yeah. You've had to deal with this? Why? I worry a whole lot less. Partially because stress is a seizure trigger. (laughs) And I can't worry a lot. Which helps because, like, God is the ultimate therapist. Yes. So you think God's helped you not be nervous? Correct. And in reality, what he's done is helped you not have seizures. Because... He's taking care of the worry. Yes. So, you know... It's, the- it's, a, it's, it's a cycle. I was stressed, so I went to God to help with my stress. I gave him my stress. Therefore, I don't have seizures, which helps me not be stressed anymore. <laughs> And it helps you not have the seizures. And it helps me not have the seizures, which is the cycle. <laughs> so that leads us perfectly into the practical. One of the things I really want to do on this podcast, we're going to have so many stories and so many things from different people and their graceful stories. And this is your graceful story. And in each one, I want to end with practical tips. I want practical tips for... Those people dealing with the issue from that episode, of course, yours is dealing with seizures or a seizure disorder 
or epilepsy, and then tips for people who have loved ones who deal with it. So I'm gonna just start with a question. What do you, there is an eight-year-old boy out there, or maybe even a middle school boy, because I think that was a hard time of life for you. Well, most of us, you know. But you're a middle school boy. There's a middle school boy out there dealing with epilepsy. What do you want him to know? Let it define you and don't let it define you. Don't let the stigma define you. Let you being an epileptic define you. Get that word out there that you are a normal kid. You are more powerful than you think you are. You can help so many other people by showing them you are normal. You're a normal kid, just like them. You can have fun. You play with Legos. You play video games moderately. And you're not weird. You're just a normal kid. Awesome. 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 Okay. What about now you had um, childhood epilepsy. Is there anything you would say for someone who maybe just got diagnosed a couple years ago? Would it be different or would it be similar to what you would have told the middle schooler? Anybody of all anybody anybody all ages. Uh, I would say, do your research. Mm, that's good. Find out exactly what your what type of epilepsy you have. Find out ways to not deal with your seizure triggers. And talk to people about it. Okay, why talk to people? Because when you talk to people, you have more and more people who hopefully are willing to help you, willing to change some things of what they do while they're hanging out with you. Okay, that's awesome. I really, I think that's wonderful. Okay, so let's go to, before we end on the positive, let's go to the negative. Have you had anything in life from family, friends, teachers, anything in life? We kind of talked about teachers not getting you sometimes. What were some things that, even if people were trying to be helpful, that just wasn't helpful? I am blessed enough where I had never really had to deal with that. That's good. I'm sure there are people who have had to deal with that so much. But God has blessed me with the ways that I don't really have to deal with that a whole lot. What I've heard is, in worst case scenarios, people deal with the stigma. And I have had to deal with this. Um. I told a potential employer I was epileptic and I didn't get the job. Mm. Okay. So what would you what would you what would you say to people trying to get employment? Not say it or say it and wash your feet, you know, dust the the road off your feet when you I'm not really good at sayings, but <laughs> you get the idea. Would you just let I'd that employee say, go, employer go and try for something else. I would say apply. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, it wasn't a fit. 
Perfect. So just be truthful, be honest, do and your thing. don't worry about it. Awesome. If you get it, great. There's don't worry about be- it if you don't. But there's, gonna, there's plenty of other jobs. And there's going to be a better employer. Yes. Awesome. So. If, if I can continue. Yeah. Would you want a boss that doesn't really care you're epileptic? Or would you want a boss that cares and cares about you? because Not because you're epileptic, but cares enough about you to change aspects of their business because you're epileptic. That's true. Because I think that there are employers that are wanting good, solid, loyal employees. And that's what you would be. So Mm -hmm. they would be blessed to get you. Yeah. So last question. What are things that people have done? So this is primarily for the audience, for people who know someone that's epileptic. They have a family member or a friend that is epileptic. What do you want them to know? What should they do? And if you can think of anything, what shouldn't they do? But what should they do for their family member, for their friend? What is good for them to know? Yeah. Everybody knows about strobe lights. So just be careful about that. But mainly what I'd say to the people who have a family member or a loved one or a friend who's epileptic is ask them what their seizure triggers are. And play to their comfort of their level of comfortableness. Of comfort, yeah. Level of comfort, yeah. So if you had a potential friend, maybe even a new friend, I think sometimes we want to ignore the illness or the disorder or the negative part of someone's life because we don't know how to talk about it. Are you saying that you like it when people ask you questions about epilepsy? I do. I I actually, in fact, say if you have any questions about epilepsy, you can talk to me about it. And most of the time what I get is them saying, okay, I didn't really know because I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. It would... it. Kind of makes me uncomfortable when I tell somebody I'm epileptic and they don't ask me about it because they don't, they probably don't know about oh, that there's multiple different types of seizure triggers. They don't know lack of sleep is a seizure trigger. They don't know if I'm stressed that it could, it could trigger a seizure. Frankly, I don't think many people know that there's other types of seizures than just the fall yeah. down, shake type of seizure you see in a TV show. Correct. Because they, they, if I were to be having my seizure, which is an Epsom seizure where I just look drugged, tired, they would think I'm hungover. Mm-hmm. Right. And so probably what they'd say is, you had a fun Friday night. <laughs> right. But you've had some really good friends have. who have known what they're looking for. And yes. I'm thinking Jerry, who has known what he was mm-hmm. looking for. And he has called me before yes. saying, I think something's up with Colin. Yes. And you've had some awesome friends. So I have, yes. That's awesome. So I would love for you to do a plug for your YouTube channel. Yeah. It is called the Epilepsy Channel, and I go over different aspects of what epilepsy is, different things people don't know. I interview some people. 
I am going to be getting into a more vlog style video where I go about my everyday life showing people I'm epileptic and I am building this bed frame. I am going to do this today. I'm going to the park and enjoying my day. Kind right. of stuff like that. That Just stuff that my neighbor would do. So what is your biggest point? What are you trying to get at with your YouTube channel? I am trying to eliminate the stigma that we're weird, we're different. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for telling the other side to my episode one story. And I really hope that you helped people see a different side of epilepsy today. So thank you very much. Oh. Thank you for joining us for Graceful Stories, where we get the opportunity to see the grace of our Heavenly Dad in the real stories of our guests. I would like to thank our guest today, Colin Fowler, my son, for sharing his story of how God used epilepsy not only to protect him, but to get closer to him, my son. Such a great story. You know, if you have any questions or would like to share your story, please message us. We will get right back with you. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe so that you never miss a story. And stay tuned next time to hear, oh my goodness, gracious, what a story. This is going to be one of the most powerful stories you hear on this podcast. It is the story of how our guest endured childhood abuse, yet somehow knew that God never left her. Wow. Until next time, my friends, put your faith in Jesus because God's got this.